Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. God's plan along the way, but we know that if God be for us, then who can be against us, right? If God is with us, then who can stand against us? And so today, as we continue into our uh, third sermon here, third of uh, the first set of five, we're learning how to respond to opposition, okay? Every time uh, we see in the book of Acts, we see God's kingdom advancing, we see some opposition rising up, trying to stop it. And you know, as I was rehearsing this morning, just kind of walking through this sermon again, it it came to me that whenever uh, we as a congregation put our hearts and our minds to fulfill uh, God's purpose for our lives, as I shared last week, any congregation that's not got seen people saved, be, uh, helping people be water baptized, filled with spirit, and engaging in missions, and they're, then they're off base. And so as we make that our goals, we pray and believe God, to, Lord, bring the lost in. Lord, bring people in that can uh, grow in their faith and use us to make disciples. If you're looking for a church in Douglas County to do that, Lord, you can choose Cornerstone. We are available, amen? And so uh, as, I th- as we begin to make that our prayer, we can expect opposition, whether it be from the principalities and powers and rulers of this dark world rising up, attacking us, trying to discourage us, trying to hinder us from moving forward, because there's nothing that he wants to do more than to hinder that from seeing. The devil doesn't want to see people saved. He doesn't want to see people's lives changed. He doesn't want to see them baptized and filled with God's spirit. And so he's going to try to oppose us. It should not come as a surprise when that occurs. And when I think about your life and my life, anytime we set out to say, draw closer to God, or to become a better spouse, or a better father, or mother, or to lead at work in a godly manner, or to be a better neighbor, to reach out, what can we expect? We can expect opposition. We can expect the enemy to rise up. Not just spiritual enemies, but we can expect people to, some people aren't going to like that. And so we're going to talk about that today, Um, some of the facts uh, of the matter. And as we look through uh, Stephen's account in Acts chapter 6. And so you can turn there. We'll be there in just a moment. But as I thought about opposition, as I thought about my own life and different roadblocks that I've encountered, you know the very first thing that came to my mind? It was working on cars. Okay? Does anybody else hate working on cars. It's not that I can't do it. It's not that I can't understand it. It's that I hate it. I just don't like it. I have... Uh, I, the first stories that came to my mind, and I apologize if you're a Ford lover, uh, you know, we'll just pray for you. But I, I had uh, like many Fords, three, three in particular that are, just pray for me, I'm still working through the emotional difficulties. Um, I about lost my salvation working on those stupid co- uh, explorers. I'm telling you, you can ask my wife 
I'm underneath these things. It felt like every other week I'm fixing it. Every other week I'm putting money into this thing and I'm throwing wrenches and I'm about in tears and I'm crying. Have you ever had that sort of experience? I, I hate working on cars. And, and so when I think about opposition in my life, I, I think of good old uh, Ford and... and the crappy cars he sold me. <laughs> so what about you? What about you? How do you respond to obstacles in your life? Is it with frustration? Is it with just about losing your salvation every time something arises that, that gets in your way? Or is it with uh, more patience and perseverance than, than I had? You know, I think it's impossible for us to go through life without facing problems or obstacles or op- opposition, especially with regard to our faith. I mean, we're going to feel it, right? We're going to feel it. As I said just a few moments ago, anytime we set out to do something great for the Lord or to draw closer to him, we're going to feel that opposition. And today we're going to see how Stephen, a leader in the church, dealt with opposition. Now, I, I admit that his, his opposition is much more extreme than any of us will probably ever face, but we can learn some important truths from his experience. Uh, and so let's look at Acts uh, chapter 6. We're going to look out, uh, first of all, who he was and what happened to them. And in this first part, we're going to see why opposition arises uh, as we move forward in advancing God's kingdom. In the second part, we'll look at how we should respond. And then lastly, how can we get prepared for that? So Acts chapter uh, 1, or excuse me, Acts chapter 6, let's, as you're turning there, we're going to be starting with verse 8. And you will notice in Acts chapter 6, in verse 3 and 5, we learn, sorry, it's just about impossible to hold a Bible and hold this stupid mic at the same time. <laughs> it is an obstacle, yes, sir. It is an obstacle. Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. It, you'll learn it in verse 3 and in verse 5 that Stephen was a man who was well-respected. He was full of the Spirit. He was full of faith. And he was very responsible. He was put in charge, or one of seven men selected to oversee the distribution of food uh, that happened each day among the early, early church. And so if, as we start in verse 8... We read, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from the province of Asia, and none of them could stand against the wisdom and spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we've heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of the religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, Said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became bright, as bright as an angel. You know, the very first thing that I'd like to point out, and it may seem a little obvious, I'm going to set that down. The very first thing I'd like to point out is that not everyone chooses to follow God. Not everyone chooses to follow God. I mean, the facts of the matter are simple, right? There are some that follow God and there are some who don't. And this inevitably puts them on different life trajectories, right? Each group 
has different values, therefore different goals in life, and therefore different strategies to achieve those goals. And so these inherent differences, this difference in lifestyle, in approach to, to living, naturally creates conflict between those who follow God and those who don't. And, which begs the question, then, then why doesn't God force everyone to follow him? Why does God allow the possibility of to choose not to follow him? Well, one answer to this question is that God's government rests on love. The moral foundation of the universe is based on reason, love, and justice. And if God ever chose to act uh, like arbitrarily and exercise superior force, then he would be in danger of ruling by fear right, rather than love. It's what he really wants are people who love and serve him voluntarily, not merely because they are afraid of him, right? And so uh, the church began to grow out of the multitudes who chose to freely follow God's love. And Stephen was one of those who did so. And in Acts 6, we see that God is using Stephen to do all sorts of wonderful things. Which leads us to the question, well, if Stephen was doing such amazing things, then why did Stephen encounter opposition? Look at verses 8 through 10 again. It says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves uh, started to debate with them. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. Now, it's never been fully established uh, who the men from the synagogue of freed slaves were and just where their synagogue was, but we do know that when the Jews were freed from their Roman masters and then returned to Jerusalem, they were called free men. Some people estimate this to occur around AD 19. Now, it could be that these Jews were more recently freed. Maybe they had not been present for Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and for that whole uh, conflict that occurred. And so maybe they they, they came in after the fact. But whatever the, was the case, they started to debate with Stephen. Why? Because they disagreed with what he was teaching and what he was doing. Stephen's purpose and his path conflicted with theirs, and so they thought to minimize his influence in the community. They, they thought that through debate they could dissuade uh, the community away from his teaching, but not even the most brilliant debater can argue with a miracle, right? The man was performing signs and wonders, and so uh, they were not going to win uh, in, under these circumstances. So how does this uh, apply to us, okay? How does this apply to us? Well, when you set forth to live a godly life, you naturally create a contrast between yourself and those around you, those who do not follow God, right? As you set out to be full of faith and full of the Spirit and full of God's grace and power and wisdom, you will naturally create a contrast between yourself and those who are not, right? Those who are not full of grace, those who are, who are disgraceful, those who are not powerful. In your workplace, when you, the way you get things done and the way you interact with people will stand in stark contrast to those who, who do it the other way, and they're not going to like it. Why? Because you're going to make them look bad, right? When they see your wisdom and others see, when others see your wisdom and their foolishness, they're going to be upset about that. And that's exactly where Stephen was. And so Jesus said in John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, he said that those, all those who do evil hate the light and refuse to come near it for fear 
their sins will be exposed. And Stephen was that light in this place. He was, God was using him to do amazing things. Stephen was moving in the grace and the power of God. And I'm sure that in the process of debate, some of their sins or some of their foolishness was being exposed. Their plan was backfiring and uh, they didn't like it. They intended to embarrass Stephen, but they were the ones being embarrassed. And so we read in verse 11, take a look at that again. They persuaded some men to lie about Stephen. They had to resort to some underhanded tactics, right? And this roused the people, the elders and the teachers of religious law. And so they arrested Stephen, brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses shared their lie. And then in the process of lying and pointing fingers, Stephen begins to glow. It says his face became as bright and as, as an angel's. I've heard it said that insecure people only eclipse your sun because they're jealous of your light and tired of their dark. Often those who criticize others reveal what they themselves lack. I like that. Often those who criticize others reveal what they themselves lack. And these Jews, they tried to debate. They tried to overcome Stephen. They could not match him in wisdom. They could not match him in, in the debate. And then his face literally begins to glow. And their eclipse, their, their darkness is just exposed as his face literally begins to glow. And we see them criticizing Stephen for things that they themselves lack. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been criticized by someone for something, and you're looking at them and you're going, how can you even say that? You are the, the one that lacks that, right? The fact that they notice that in, in a way shows, them in, shows that in themselves they lack that very same quality. And so we have to remember, just as in Stephen's case, that as Christians, not everyone is going to be uh, excited about the gospel. Not everyone is going to be excited about the miraculous works that God is doing in us and through us. They're not going to be excited when our lives change. They're not going to be excited when we're sharing God's wisdom, when we speak into a situation with power and authority and, and good things occur. Not everybody is going to be excited about that. Some people in their insecurity Security are going to be upset, and that opposition is going to come. It's a reality for Christians that follow and stand for Jesus, just as it was for Stephen. So with this in mind, how do we respond to opposition? If opposition is going to come, if we can just expect it, if it's going to come, then how do we answer that in a way that pleases God? Well, speaking about responding... You know, why do landscapers never give you a straight answer? It's because they're always beating around the bush. Listen, when we face opposition, thank you for humoring me, I'll pay you later. When we face opposition, we better have a straight answer, right? Or we're going to be in trouble, right? We can't when, you, when opposition comes, especially like the kind that Stephen uh, experienced, we can't be beating around the bush, fumbling for words, wondering what we're going to do. Listen to this statement. There are only three possible ways to answer persecution. One, react with hate. 
to the persecutors. Two, react by adopting the persecutors' values, hoping to no longer be persecuted. Or three, stand firm in your faith, knowing that you are as in need of grace as those that are doing the persecuting. And in verses 16 through 60, we see that uh, Stephen took option three. He stood firm in his faith, and in these verses we read his defense. Uh, One Bible commentary tells us that Stephen's defense takes three lines, and we're not going to take the time to read all the way through it, although I would encourage you to do so uh, maybe this afternoon or later this week. But he he brings up three things. First, with respect to the significance of the temple, Stephen illustrates from the Jewish scriptures that the God of the Old Covenant is not confined to any one special place, but is a God who dwells in the midst of his covenant people. Second, Stephen points out that the Old Covenant people, of which these Jewish debaters were, have a long history of refusing to listen to the prophets that God sends. In fact, he points out that not only did you not listen, but you persecuted and killed most of them. And then lastly, Stephen points out that the Old Covenant people have a long history of rebelling against the law of Moses. This, the thing that they, they hold in the highest esteem, they don't even follow. And so he points this out, and in the process, he makes them extremely, extremely upset. And so even in death, the power and the reality of Stephen's relationship with God was, was proclaimed and manifested. It's, if you look in verses 59 and 60, look at those with me again real quick. Look at verses 59 and 60 of chapter 7. With his dying breath, we see him praying. Look at, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Do those words sound awful familiar? Do you remember when Jesus died? He prayed something extremely similar, right? And so even as he's dying, in the process of dying, he's praying for those that are persecuting him. And I wonder if that could be said of us. When we think about those who are making our lives miserable because of our faith, whether it be in our home, uh, whether it be a, 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 a husband, a, a, a wife, or one of our kids, or a parent, uh, maybe someone at work, a neighbor, someone who's observing the changes that God is making in our lives, someone who's listening to the wisdom in the, in the things that God is pouring into us, and it just comes out of us naturally, and it's making them look bad, and they hate it. They don't want to hear about it. They're like these, these people, uh, the, like these Jews who plug their ears and gnash their teeth. Are we praying for them in the midst of that, or are we reacting with hate? We're reacting with, or worse, by adopting their values, trying to ease it, or are we standing fir- firm? I know that we might not face the same kind of persecution that, that Stephen faced, even though some Christians in our world, unfortunately, are, are being killed. Daily, Christians are, are being killed. Um, if you haven't ever read The Voice of the Martyrs, that's a very interesting... How many of you heard of that? Voice of the Martyrs is a very interesting publication. Um, and boy, if that doesn't move you to pray for Christians in other parts of the world, I don't know what will... But there are Christians who are being killed daily for their faith. And if we were in their shoes, would we hold on 
till the end. I mean, we think we're doing good when we overcome maybe rejection or a little bit of ridicule, but they are enduring, watching family members, loved ones being killed and if they don't re- you know, renounce their faith. They're amazing heroes of faith. I think we're going to get to heaven and we're going to be so surprised at how the Lord doles out various rewards and who he puts in charge of certain things. I think it's going to be a lot of those people, to be honest with you, just for what they've gone through. In fact, speaking of voice of the martyrs, Stephen the very, is the very first martyr that is recorded in scriptures. And so we see him uh, praying for his persecutors even as he is killed. So the last question, we, we know that opposition's gonna come and we know that to respond in a way that pleases God, we need to stand firm. We need to pray for those who are persecuting us. But how can we get prepared for it? How can you get prepared for it? Well, as I studied out Stephen's story, I thought this, this came to to came to me, just as I'm observing. To prepare for opposition, remain full. Remain full of God's grace, his power, his wisdom, and his spirit. You'll see that in chapter 6, verses 8 through 10, as they mentions, as Luke, the author of Acts, mentions that Stephen was full of those things. Again, in 755 and in verse 60, we see him full of God's grace in the Holy Spirit. And so, as I think about Stephen's situation, I have to wonder, do you think that Stephen expected opposition, or did it catch him off guard? He expected it. I think he expected it. Stephen was probably familiar with Jesus' words in John chapter 15, uh, 18 through 21. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Therein lies a very interesting thing. And and someone, I read, um, Jamie sent me an article about Francis Chan, a pastor in California, um, an author of, of several different books, who woke up. In, in, uh, after just kind of had like something come to him. It's almost as I read his description of it, it's like he realized in a moment, like he had a, just an epiphany and said, I, I need to do something else. The man's a prolific author and speaker and he's going to leave uh, pastoring and move to East, into Asia, correct, Jamie? Yeah, to Asia to be a missionary. And he's, he was just saying you know, the, the biggest thing that he notices about American Christians as is related to this verse. He doesn't quote this verse, but the way he describes it is very much related to this. It's as if Christians, they come to know the Lord, but they don't want to come out of the world. They want to kind of be in the world and be Christians at the same time. And, and because they don't want persecution. They don't want to stand out. They don't want to be hated. Look what Jesus says. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. And there's a lot of people, they don't want to do that. And Francis Chan was pointing that out and how he, he sees that as an issue uh, with the American church. Look at what Jesus says in verse 20. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me naturally, they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all 
hosts to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. And so unlike some Christians who are surprised when they encounter persecution or opposition, Stephen was prepared. It's obvious from uh, this account in chapter 6 and chapter 7 that Stephen regularly spent time in prayer because Luke says that he was a man full of God's grace, full of God's power, full of the Spirit. And the only way you get that is if you are in prayer, spending time in God's presence. And it's also obvious from Stephen's defense that he was very knowledgeable of the Scriptures. So he must have spent time reading and studying the Scriptures. And so both of these practices allowed him to respond wisely when opposition came. And so my question for you and my question for myself today is could, be, could, this, could the same thing be said of us? Could the same thing be said of you? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you full of God's grace and power? Are you full of his spirit? Paul teaches us in Ephesians that we should be being filled with the Spirit. Not just a one-time occurrence, like last month I, I, I was full of God's Spirit, but right now, every day, continually full of God's Spirit. If, you, if you're like me, I notice uh, when I am not prayed up like I should be. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There are a few days. Usually I pray in the mornings or at at lunch, right? It's usually early in the day. But if for some reason I don't take that time in the morning or earlier in the, uh, the day to pray and it's towards the evening, I notice a, a bit of a difference. It's kind of like a musician. I heard a, a famous musician once say that they can notice a difference in the quality of their uh, music if they don't practice for a couple days. I mean, we're talking about world-renowned musicians. They don't practice. You think, well, you don't have to practice every day. You're already great. No. They'll tell you, no, if I don't practice, I drop off a bit. How many of you feel that at times in your walk with the Lord? If you're not in prayer, if you're not in the Word, you feel that, that this seems different. You don't respond quite the way you, you know you should. Are you familiar with Scriptures? Could you easily reference the Scriptures to mount an impromptu defense like Stephen did? I mean, you read his defense. I mean, this is like... the. Like a, like a lawyer who had tons of time to prepare. He's just rattling things off and hitting it home. He's bringing it home so hard that they plug their ears and they gnash their teeth at him, right? This man spoke with power and authority, just kind of off the cuff, under pressure. Are we that uh, knowledgeable of scriptures that we could do the same thing? The reason I, I say that is because persecution and op- opposition rarely send us a notice, right? They rarely send us something in the mail or send us an email at work and say, hey, by the way, uh, tomorrow I'm going to persecute you. I just, just giving you a heads up. I want you to be prepared. Tomorrow on your work site, tomorrow I'm going to attack you. You know, I'm going to try to make you look bad in front of everybody. You know, it, that rarely happens, right? It's like surprise and we're caught off guard. And we don't necessarily know how to respond in that moment unless we're prayed up and read up. That's not a phrase we hear uh, too much of, uh, but I'm going to use it, and I'm going to encourage you to do the same. We've got to be prepared. As we kind of wrap up this morning, we learn that 
First of all, not everybody is going to be excited about the gospel, about the wonderful things that God is doing in your life and through your life, right? We can expect opposition, right? And we get prepared for that opposition by staying close to the Lord, being in prayer, being in the word, so that when it's surprise, I'm here to attack you, we're prepared to do that, correct? And if we need encouragement, we can find encouragement from two places. One, by looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of our, author and finisher of our faith. If there's anybody who was persecuted for being a righteous, God-honoring person, it is him. He went before us. He went before us and was persecuted to the point of death. And not a one of us can have that testimony. And the same Lord that was persecuted and died on that cross, he also rose again. And now he's sending us strength. And so when we're facing persecution, when we're facing opposition, we can rely on him and know that he understands exactly what we're facing. The other place we can find encouragement when facing opposition is from one another. And that's one of the reasons why we gather. We gather to pray for one another, and that's exactly how we're going to finish today. Uh, I want us to pray for two things as we finish. I want us to pray for this church, because this congregation specifically, because we are trying to advance God's kingdom. And we know that anytime any congregation tries to advance God's kingdom, opposition will arise. And we need to be in prayer together. I think corporately taking a minute to pray with one another is appropriate. And the second thing is, as we gather in groups of maybe three to five, if there's someone in your group who you're there and you're, you're facing persecution, you're facing opposition in some aspect of your life, even if it's just kind of like a, like a spiritual opposition, and that's probably the most prevalent type of opposition that we will face, I want you to acknowledge that and just tell your group, hey guys, Pray for me. Pray for me that God would strengthen me and help me to endure. So would you stand with me this morning? We're significantly early here on our typical time that we dismiss. So we're going to take probably three minutes. Can you make groups of three to five just with the people around you? Maybe invite people from uh, various aisles. Nobody by themselves, please. Make groups of three to five. Someone in your group, volunteer to, to lead. Pray for the, the congregation. And then if anybody is in your group who's facing opposition, please just pray for them. Go ahead and pray. Once you're done praying, I'll pray a quick prayer of dismissal. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.